Did you know that you can get this same great episode of the Royal Woman podcast ad-free? I get it. Listening to ads during a podcast isn't always my favorite either, but in order to keep the lights and coffee pot on here at the Rural Woman Podcast Studios, they are necessary. I am so grateful to each and every one of my sponsors, but if you yourself would like to skip the ads while supporting the show, consider joining me over on Patreon. Patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast get ad-free episodes starting at Tier 5 on their podcast player of choice each week, plus some other great benefits. Find out more by heading to the link in today's show notes to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today you'll meet Natalie Green. Natalie is a passionate homesteader with a one-acre farm in Richmond, Virginia. When Natalie and her husband moved to their home three years ago, Natalie knew she wanted a big garden and a few chickens for eggs. She was also excited to produce her own food in hopes that it would help with some issues that she faced with an autoimmune disorder. Natalie started her social media account to promote the eggs that she was selling from her front porch. She had recently been furloughed due to the pandemic and was looking for a way to keep the feed bins full. Fast forward to now, Natalie has a thriving homestead where she is able to help and feed her community and continues to grow. It's important to Natalie that people see someone that looks like her learning, making mistakes, and using the space she has to grow literally and figuratively as a Black female homesteader. I am very excited for you guys to meet Natalie. Her story is sure to bring a smile to your face as it did mine. Before we get to Natalie's interview, let's go over this week's listener review. This week's review comes from my friend, Kimberly Allen via Apple Podcast. This five-star rating and review is titled, I Love This Podcast. The stories are so inspiring, and Caitlin is a fun and energetic host. I appreciate the focus on women in all the different areas of farming and agriculture. Well, thank you very much, my fellow farmer and podcaster, Kimberly Allen, for that sweet listener review. And my friends, if you would be so kind to leave a rating and review wherever you get the podcast, that would be much appreciated, and you can hear your kind words on an upcoming episode. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Natalie. Hello, Natalie. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. I am so excited to have you here and chat with you today and pick your brain on all things homesteading. It's so exciting to be talking to you. I, I feel like we've just been chatting over coffee here this morning, and uh, we probably could have been recording already for the last half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> for my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Natalie, tell us who you are and how you got your start in agriculture. Well, my name is Natalie. Um, new last name is Green. I got married to my awesome husband last year. 
And we live on one acre just outside of Richmond, Virginia, which we now call Green Acre since it's our last name and we just have one acre of land. And we have chickens, pigs, the occasional ducks, turkeys, quail. We had goats for a little while and we also have rabbits. So we're doing a lot of things with our acre as well as a large garden. And when I'm not here on the homestead, I am a middle school science teacher. So I've kind of combined my love for all things homestead and teaching and started to educate the community when people are interested in learning how to do some of the things that we're doing, especially those that don't have a lot of space to do it in. I have to tell you, I have been connected with you over on Instagram for some time now, and I actually don't think I ever realized how small of a space that you had, only because there are so many things that are happening there. I assumed that you had more space than you actually did. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people are shocked. For those of you that may not know how big an acre is, it's a football field which um, is pretty big, but when you have a house on it and animals, you know, the space starts to close in quickly. We are really lucky that we're surrounded by farmland that our neighbor owns. And so that makes us feel like we have a little bit more space than we do just because there aren't other houses right on top of us. But yeah, it's, it's really cool to see how creative we can be in the space that we have. And you know, I've talked to other people who say, well, we just bought two acres or three acres and we really didn't think that we could do X, Y, or Z because of the space that we have. And, you know, you've shown me that it's possible. So it's really, really fun to challenge ourselves in this space. Right. And I like how you make this a challenge for you and see what you can do with it. And I think that makes it fun and it makes it interesting for you to expand your homestead and your farm on this one acre. And like you said, having neighbors who are farmers so you can see further might make it feel like it's a bit bigger. But (laughs) at the end of the day, (laughs) that one acre, you are able to produce your own food and produce food for your community. So I think that is so neat. I want to circle back to your off farm job, off homestead job of being a teacher because you shared with me a cool kind of initiative that your school is doing and how you're able to connect your agriculture background to your full-time job. So share with us about your project that you do with your students. Yeah, so I teach middle school science and I teach 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. So my main classes that I teach are life science and physical science. And then I teach a special advisory course, which is the class that students go to first thing in the morning, and it is a farm-based advisory. So our school years and years ago used to be a dairy farm, and I think about 10 or 15 years ago, there was a teacher there who was really interested in agriculture, and she helped the school bring back some of that land as a large garden and orchard space. So with the class that I have, I'm teaching them you know, what agriculture is, the different types of farming that people do. They're learning more about how to grow food and where their food comes from. And our school held a little festival this year that they helped plan where they just talked about what the school had to offer as far as fresh fruits and vegetables and things. They actually set up a stand at the local farmer's market 
over the summer. There's a, a farmer who works at the school and kind of handles that. So that's been really exciting. And we're actually working on making that class like a permanent course at the school so that more students can take it and be exposed to it. And hopefully I'm really working on convincing them to let me bring a few chickens to school too. <laughs> that is so great. And to be able to teach kids this life skill, because really growing your own food is a life skill at such a young age and hopefully sparking that interest in them, even if they grow up to live in a big city, knowing that they can still grow something in a windowsill or in a dark basement with a grow light or whatever it is. Hopefully it's food they're growing with their grow light. But uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> side note, only grow food kids. Um, but uh, it, It's just so neat to expose them. Like I, I think of growing up and my exposure to agriculture and farm life was so minimal. What were your first memories of food or growing food that you can remember? When I was really small, like elementary school age, my grandmother always had a garden. She really liked roses. So she had rose bushes in her front yard and I would love to go and like cut the flowers with her. And she planted a strawberry patch in her backyard. And I remember every year she'd complain that the squirrels and birds were eating her strawberries, but we did it anyway. And then when I got a little older, like high school, college age, my mom and I finally moved into a house where we had a big backyard and she loves to garden. So I actually wanted nothing to do with it. She'd make me go to Lowe's or Home Depot with her every weekend and spend hours like picking out mulch and plants and things. And I just thought it was the most boring thing ever. And now look at me, I'm <laughs> growing my own food and raising all of these animals. But she's the one who really, you know, taught me how exciting it was when you could make your own salad from something in the backyard. And that's really my first experience. And when I got a little older after college, I took a year and I lived in Jamaica and I worked with people who lived kind of really far out in rural bush communities, just working on getting resources that they need and finding creative ways that we could do that. And one of the things that we did was we built a chicken coop and then the community raised some money and bought them some chicks. And then they were able to raise those chicks to make more eggs or, you know, have chicken to sell at the market. So that's when I really saw that you could like not only grow fruits and vegetables, but that you could produce meat for your family. And, you know, there are goats there that are kind of like running through the mountain countryside, which is really cool. And here we have so many rules about how much land you need and what kind of structures you need for animals. But it just showed me that even in a space like that, where you're literally kind of at the bottom of a mountain, there's so many things that you could be doing and just growing food for your family and your community. And it doesn't take a lot of money or resources to do that. For sure. Well, and you have taken those skills and brought them to your own home now. So tell us more about how you got your start on your one acre and uh, how you've grown from there. So about four years ago, I got a job offer to move down here to Richmond. My husband and I are from Maryland at the time we were dating and I could take a job like in the DC metro area or come down here. So when we looked at the cost of living, I was like, let me, you know, check the job out down there and see how I like it. And we had moved into a little house that we were renting in just a suburban neighborhood. And 
I had been saying, you know, I want to make a garden. I really wish we could have chickens. And so my husband built a little garden bed for us and we grew a couple of things. I think mostly cucumber and squash and our dog got in and ate all of it. I think we got, you know, one or two pieces of squash off of the plants that we grew. And I found a free chicken coop on Craigslist. Of course, that's, you know, where everyone starts is with the free coop or the free chickens or something along those lines. And he had a friend who had some animals and he said, okay, you you guys have a coop. I'll give you a couple of chickens. So we took three chickens and illegally kept them in our suburban backyard, but none of the neighbors minded. I think a couple of them actually had their own chickens that they weren't supposed to either. So we kind of joined the club there. And once we, you know, decided we were going to stay in the area, I saw this house that we live in now on Zillow, which is like, I don't know if you have that where you are, but it's just a site where you can go and look at different homes. And I jokingly said to him, oh my gosh, this looks like our dream house. Let's, you know, let's buy it. And a few weeks later, we found out that we we decided we didn't want to renew our lease at our current place. So we came out and this was one of three houses that we looked at and we ended up getting the house here. And of course I went out and got all of the chickens that I could get my hands on and added in some rabbits. I had rabbits as a pet previously, so I was familiar with those. And we just had chickens and rabbits for a while. And then we slowly started collecting, you know, more animals every time he'd go on a a business trip, I, he'd come home and I'd have a new turkey or duck or something <laughs> along those lines. And he'd ask me where these animals came from. And then I got to the point and he said, you know, if you're going to have all of these animals, you really need to figure out a way to pay for them because it's getting expensive. So during the beginning stages of COVID, I started selling eggs on our front porch. I had actually gotten furloughed from the school that I was working at at the time. And like, you know, we've got to feed these animals and I have some free time on my hands. So I'm going to post these eggs and see if anyone buys them. And they bought the eggs. So that was great. And then I started adding some seedlings. I had extra seeds from the garden. So I put those on the porch as well. And those started to go. And then Eventually, we found this free farm trailer, and it kind of all morphed into what it is today. And I really had started my social media account just to get people to come and buy our eggs. I figured if I posted a few pictures of our chickens, you know, they would think it was fun to come and get these farm fresh eggs. And the first day that we parked the farm stand down there, I was just shocked that people kept pulling up and kept buying our plants and eggs and things. And it's helped us, you know, connect with our community so much more than I ever could have imagined and really turned into something that I wasn't expecting. That is so great that you have been able to expand in the way that you have. And I feel like you and I are best friends in the sense that you would find things to bring home while your husband was away. Uh, (laughs) I feel like that is something that I definitely would do and probably have done in some way, shape, or form. So <laughs> so a little bit about your husband. Was he ever exposed to farm life or agriculture beforehand? No, not at all. He grew up in a suburb of D.C., so a very, like, metropolitan area. So he had, I don't even think he, like, Maybe his grandparents had a garden growing up, but he wasn't around animals. You know, he had dogs and that was about it. 
So he couldn't tell the difference between anything I was bringing home. He It took him a while to notice that there were like 15 chickens now instead of five chickens and things like that. So he's definitely been a good sport. I say that he homesteads by uh, force and not by choice sometimes, <laughs> but he really enjoys the aspect of building things and challenging himself that way. So he's awesome about helping me build garden boxes or animal structures as long as he doesn't have to get up and feed anything before work or anything like that. He, he'll he stay on board. Good. <laughs> That's teamwork right there. <laughs> <laughs> Join women passionate about agriculture and food at the upcoming Advancing Women in Agriculture Conference being held on June 21st and 22nd, 2022 at the Hyatt Regency in Calgary, Alberta. The Advancing Women in Agriculture Conference was created for every woman who is passionate about agriculture and food, whether you're a university student studying agriculture, producer, entrepreneur, representative of a growers association, or corporate agribusiness. AWC is for women who want to enhance their family life, community, career, and industry through communication and coaching, mentoring and networking, financial management and independence, health and balance of life strategies, career planning, and setting goals in all of these areas. The Advancing Women in Agriculture Conference has a proven track record of bringing women in agriculture and food together from across Canada and parts of the U.S. AWC is proud of the quality of speakers that they bring to the podium, including business experts, motivational and inspirational leaders, industry representatives, and me. I'll be presenting on stage at the Advancing Women in Agriculture Conference, and I would love to see you there. For more information and to register, head to advancingwomenconference.ca or by heading to the link in today's show notes. So share with us some of the biggest struggles that you have faced in starting your new homestead. I think that, you know, one of the things that new homesteaders or farmers do is, you know, we want to do everything. So we want the garden and the chicken and the goats and the pigs. And I think that's okay in a way because you have to try different things to find out what you like and dislike. But I think narrowing it down and honing in on things that are going to be best for us and best for the space that we have has definitely been a challenge my husband, you know, he really is not a huge fan of goats. I don't know why. You know, they they only escape about once a week and make a lot of noise. But that's been, you know, a challenge deciding whether or not we're going to keep them. So right now, I say we're taking a break from the goats. He says we're done with goats. But that's been a little challenge, just figuring out what we're going to have here. And then finding balance with the lifestyle, you have to decide, you know, back when we lived in the city, we lived in Baltimore City before we moved out here. And deciding now, sometimes on the weekends, are we going to be at home because our pig is going to give birth or are we going to drive up to go to our nephew's birthday party? Things like that. Those can be, that can be really challenging and finding people that are going to understand, you know, why you can't always make it to this event or do that thing. Or sometimes even if you're not busy, you're just tired. (laughs) You've been 
gardening all day, shoveling poop all day. You've gone to the farmer's market this morning and now you just want to rest. So finding that balance and not letting it become all consuming, which it almost has to be, but doing that in a healthy way can sometimes be challenging. And the other thing is, I know, especially on social media, I have watched lots of YouTube videos and we would go to the library and check out books and listen to podcasts. There's so much advice and so many different ways that people are going to tell you to do things and finding out what works for you and your lifestyle and your finances, frankly, is definitely a challenge. You have to make this lifestyle something that it is work, but it also has to be enjoyable and sustainable. And that may change depending on where you're at in the process. So think those three things would definitely be the biggest challenges for me. Those are, I think, universal challenges, whether you are on a homestead, (laughs) a ranch, or a farm. (laughs) And you know, it's funny, I always say I have somewhat of an upper hand or advantage of knowing what we don't know coming from a city background going rural. And you know, having those expectations from your family or friends who knew you, I guess, pre-farm, those can be really challenging, right? Because you were always available, you were always there. And now it's like, well, in seasons, yes, I can be there, but in other seasons, I can't be. And like you said, it's tiring. So knowing that it's okay to rest and all of these things. I think in 2022, I know people like come up with words and all of these things like as their theme and things like that. But one thing that always just like pops into my mind is the word boundaries and whether that's for people who are outside or also like your inside internal boundaries and knowing how much energy you have to give to people or to projects and things. And I think we can all be guilty of seeing what everybody else is doing on their homestead or their farm and thinking, well, I would like to try that or do that. And it's not feasible because whether that's finances or your space, and I think most importantly, your energy that you're able to give to something. Right. It's like as a farmer, you have to be a jack of all trades, they say. But at the same time, you have to do that in stages. You know, during the summertime, you have to put a lot of energy and effort into what's going on outside. But maybe in the fall and winter months, those are things where you're giving less physical energy, but maybe a little bit more mental energy. So finding that balance and just making your priorities is key. Yeah, for sure. So I want you now on the flip side to share your wins and some of the things that you're most proud of that you have accomplished on Green Acre. (laughs) I think one of the biggest things, and this probably sounds a little cheesy, but I think that getting an opportunity to live in the home that we live in, in the area that we live in, really helped me find myself. Like, especially when you're young and you're, you know, I'm in my mid thirties, you bounce around to different careers, you find different hobbies and even like social outlets. And then hopefully at some point something clicks and I don't know what it is, but I just, I love being outside. I love being with my animals. I love teaching other people about, you know, our life and sharing that with them. So that and using that to build community has been a huge win for me. And I've had so many people kind of who have also moved out of the city and come to the area that we live in. And they 
say that they haven't always felt comfortable going to a farmer's market or a farm or asking questions because that person doesn't necessarily look like them or maybe not have the same views and values as they do. And being, you know, a black woman in this space, that is, you know, a major gift. You can show people that you don't have to look like the traditional, you know, old white man in overalls, even though I love a good pair of overalls when you're out here doing things. So encouraging people who may not have always felt comfortable or even interested in this lifestyle and using that to build community has been amazing. I've had so many people, you know, reach out and say like, thanks for sharing. I didn't really think that I could do this or it's so awesome to see someone who looks like me doing something that I want to do. And I think that now, you know, social media has so many bad things that can come from it, but in a way, telling your story through pictures and just kind of being honest and open about your journey allows us to redefine what a farmer or a rancher or a homesteader looks like. And to me, that is like, you know, the best part of this is just showing people that they can live their dream. I always hear, you know, people saying, you're living my dream life. And I'm like, yes, you, but you need to live your dream life. So showing them that their dream, whatever it is, is possible in the space that they have, with the skin that they have, with the views that they have, the community that they have, like they can do it and it doesn't have to look a certain way. Those are all amazing wins, Natalie. And I miss you over here. Good job. (laughs) 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 I just think that, and like you said, social media can be an absolute dumpster fire at times and really media in general. But I think like you said, if you show up and you are showing you know, what you're doing and the mistakes that you've made or being honest about things that are hard or what you're struggling with, that allows people to see your vulnerable side and things that aren't always perfect. And yes, there are things that are hard that you can struggle with, but here's some ways to get through those things and to build a community around that and uh, to make people know that they're welcome and that they're not alone is one of the best gifts I think you can give people. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for continuing to do that and being a light on social media. Thank you. I'm glad that people are able to, you know, follow along and go through the ups and downs with us. I know the first time I shared when we had a major loss here on the farm, people were thanking me for, you know, showing another side because maybe they had animals and hadn't experienced that yet or were thinking about bringing animals home and realized that they had to be okay with that reality. I think that sometimes because people think that if you are processing your meat or, you know, harvesting your animals that you're okay with death or, you know, hard circumstances when it comes to them and that's not always the case. So being able to share working through those moments and, you know, how we handle that situation is important. Right, for sure. And it's funny, I think there's that saying, if you have livestock, you have dead stock, which I was always shocked and appalled by that statement. It's like, why? Why would you do that? But until you actually face the reality that, you know, animals can get sick and die and you can do everything that you possibly can for them. But at the end of the day, there's life and death. And here on a farm or on a ranch or a homestead, you see that 
up close and personal a lot more than I would say the average person off of uh, the farm. So I want to talk more about your animals and processing meat and it ties into social media. You had shared on social your goal of not having to buy meat from a grocery store. So tell us why you made that goal in the first place and how you went about that process. So my husband and I, you know, we have all of these things growing, whether they be animals or plants. And with our climate and just at the experience level and the amount of things like we have currently established here, we knew that not buying any vegetables or fruits wasn't a realistic goal, but we are trying to just come up with a challenge for ourselves. We like to do that in one way or another and also just really find out if homesteading is, you know, financially, like what is the difference in our grocery bill when we're buying meat versus feeding the animals and then harvesting our own meat. And so we were already eating a lot of our own chicken and it was so good. So we looked at each other and I said, you know, I think we should try to see if we can go without buying any meat. And we knew that that would be a huge sacrifice because, for example, we don't have enough space to keep a cow, but we could keep goats and we have our pigs and the different types of poultry. And the leeway that we gave ourselves was that we could, if we really had to, we could purchase something at like the local farmer's market or from another small farm or we could trade or barter with our neighbors. So our neighbor next door to us is a really good hunter and fisherman. And we tried to do a lot of fishing this year and did a lot of fishing, but didn't do very much catching. So thanks to him, he would give us a call and say, you know, I caught all of these catfish today. Would you like some? And he'd bring us over a cooler full of fish. And then when he would hunt, you know, he'd call us and ask if we would like to have some of that meat. So that was awesome. And it wasn't even like a planned bartering system. It's just something that you do when you live in a community like this. If you have extra, you know, you want to share that with your neighbors. So we would, you know, take, we like to make pear butter because we have fresh pears on our property. So we would take some of that over there or maybe some fresh pork that we had harvested. And it kind of just became this symbiotic relationship with them. And then we have Another neighbor who we met through the farm stand as well that lives down the street and they had some roosters and they really didn't want to process them, but they couldn't keep them all. So somehow, you know, we've become the people that you bring your unwanted rooster to and we'll take care of it for you. So they gave us several birds and then they really wanted rabbit meat, but didn't have rabbits. So we were able to provide them with that just as a thank you. And the nice thing is there was no expectation from either side that you were going to reciprocate. But now it's like those lines are open. And when we need something, you can go and ask without the expectation, but know that those people are going to be there for you if you need something. And so what we did was once we, you know, got ourselves situated, we talked about how much meat that we would probably eat and, we Googled, I think it said the average American ate like 200 pounds of meat per year, which we thought was crazy. We didn't even think we ate that together. So we harvested a um, small pig to start and we got about 80 pounds of meat off of that. And we thought that that was amazing. And so then we ended up harvesting, I think about a hundred-ish chickens, which we did not harvest with the intention to keep all of. We 
gave some away and traded some and things like that. And then, you know, the rabbits next and the goats. And we really just gained such an appreciation for the whole process. And, you know, I, for the most part, when I share these things, people are very, you know, respectful and, you know, they might say something like, ah, I don't, I don't think I could ever do that, but it's awesome that you're doing that. And I think people are almost like scared to accept that it's okay to want to live a more primal lifestyle. So you're seeing that animal, you know, be born sometimes here. We've had pigs that we've had born here that we were able to process. And then we did buy one feeder pig this year, but to see that animal go through all of the stages of life and, you know, you know, it got snuggled at some point and it enjoyed a nice buffet of pears that have fallen off of the tree. And, you know, it's been pet by lots of little kids and had a really good life. And I also have talked to other people that they may tuck their animals kind of away, like if they have meat chickens versus egg-laying chickens or pigs that they're keeping versus pigs that they are going to process, they kind of separate them or maybe don't name them or try to detach themselves from that animal. And I try to take the opposite perspective, whereas I am so grateful that we were able to do this and provide this animal with a good life and know that it's happy and make sure that it stays healthy and, you know, it has a name and it's okay to be sad when that processing day comes, but you should also be super proud of being able to, you know, figure all of this out. The first time that we had to harvest our pig, we were for like probably two or three months beforehand, we're like watching YouTube videos and listening to podcasts and going to the library and checking out books. And then we're out there with like a butchering book on the the table as we're doing it. And, you know, we got through it. It wasn't perfect. We didn't get a perfect slab of bacon or a perfect pork chop, but just being able to go through that process, especially with my husband, I feel like brought us closer, but in a way I was always the one that was like more into the idea of doing it. So it was fun for me to have like leadership over that task for us in something that I guess would be considered more of like a manly thing to do is to go out and and harvest your meat. So just being able to take us from, you know, the very beginning stages all the way to the end and do all of it here. We know the animal didn't have to get like stressed to load into a trailer and things like that. Now, if we had a farm where we had hundreds of pigs, we would probably handle the situation a little bit differently. But since it's just a small amount here or there, you know, it's really nice that we can do everything here and be completely in control. That's amazing. And what an amazing journey and process that this has been for you in relatively a short amount of time. And it sounds like the community that is surrounding you is one that hopefully the listeners now and I aspire to of being able to kind of go back to basics and provide food and supplies for your neighborhood and for your family. And if you have an abundance of one thing, why not share that with others and, you know, the, the bartering or just the knowing that you have this and you can give it to your neighbor. And if they have something, they will give it to you. I think that's just, it's so funny to me because it sounds kind of weird and it sounds kind of foreign, but this is how people have survived up until 
however many years ago, right? Before there were all of these grocery stores and things like that. And it's funny that you say too that, you know, typically it would be the man job of going out and butchering these animals to feed your family. I hear stories of my husband's grandmother, Baba, she did all of these things for her family. And that is one thing that I'm always in awe of and have so much respect for is these women who took the reins and did what they had to do to provide for themselves and for their communities. And I see that in you and learning these skills that are not necessarily the most glamorous or, you know, fun jobs to do, but they're jobs that need to be done in order to provide for yourself and for your community. And that's one thing I've been really leaning into. You know, you're excited when you kind of cross that hump, I guess. Processing a chicken or a turkey, I think, is kind of a common experience for someone who homesteads and is growing their own meat. But many people don't venture out into the larger animals just because you do need certain tools or equipment if you have an animal of a certain size. So that was one thing that we told ourselves was that we needed to have like smaller breed pigs or smaller breed goats because we needed to be able to do this. We don't have a tractor to hoist up like a 500 pound hog or anything like that. So we've stuck with a Cooney Cooney Juliana mix for our pigs. And then we had Nigerian dwarfs as our goat, which they were great for milk. And then we were able to get some meat off of them as well. So keeping those things in mind. And as I started kind of sharing what we were doing, I was just like, you know, I didn't think that this was actually going to be possible, but we have an acre and here's what we've been able to harvest off of it. And as I shared that kind of in some of our local homesteading and farming groups, I had a lot of people, especially women reaching out to me, like, do you have a YouTube channel or, you know, how did you figure all of this out? Or, asking me questions like that. And, you know, so many people kept saying, you should do a class, you should do a class. And I'm like, I don't, I just learned how to do this from like YouTube and books and, you know, things like that. I'm like, it's all out there. But eventually I did kind of put on my big girl pants and I started to offer classes and I started with chickens and we just did women only because I feel like I know me personally, if I'm going to do something that I find hard or either mentally or emotionally or physically, if my husband's there nine times out of 10, I'm going to lean on him to do the hard part of it. So I had it as women only because I felt like we were a small homestead. Bigger farms probably offer the same thing, but it was just less overwhelming and intimidating and it was all women. And I had my first class and we were just in my backyard and learning how to harvest chickens. And we talked a little bit about the different breeds and you know, why one might be good over the other. And we went through the whole process. And some of the women that had come had chickens, some, you know, lived in an apartment and they just were thinking about this as a future. So it was great to talk to people that were in a different stage. And I did those throughout the spring and summer. And then in the fall, I ended with turkeys for Thanksgiving. And that one, it was some people came with their husbands or spouses and that was a little bit of a mixed, but even so, I was really worried. I'm like, is the male energy going to take over, you know, the situation here? But it was amazing. Everyone did a great job. And I think that some of the women still took the lead, even though their husband was there, maybe because they were learning from a woman who was teaching the class. So they felt a little bit more empowered. 
but it was great. And everybody was so thankful, you know, that they had an opportunity to come and learn something like this. And usually my own husband doesn't really help me when I do the classes, but there were so many people for the turkey class. I had to get him to help me. And at the end of the day, he said, you know, you really sound like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> I said, thanks. I'm glad, you know, you know, you finally uh, know that I know what's going on out here. <laughs> right. Well, isn't that like the best compliment you can get from, <laughs> from your husband? <laughs> you really sound knowledgeable in this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so great. And I love, I love that you are focusing on empowering women through this and through your classes. And I know there can be mixed reviews from women specifically on whether, you know, whether it's a woman-specific class or a woman-specific hashtag or any of these things, like why do we need to be segregated from the men's in this? And, you know, I've even gotten it from this podcast, like why don't you interview men and all of these things? And, you know, I think all of our stories and I think all of our jobs are important and there's meaning and there's all of these things behind it. But the simple fact is that there are discrepancies and there is underrepresentation and all of these other elements that come into it. And to be able to have that energy and that focus in that group from, you know, from you as their teacher, showing them that it is possible for them to do it. Like we mentioned before, once you see other women doing things and you know what's possible, that can give people the spark to know that they can do it too. Like I'm thinking of if I were to start butchering and all of these things, my immediate thing would be to go to YouTube and to find these things. But to have somebody local to you that you know, like, and trust that will show you how to do it because they've already done all of that legwork for you, I think that's invaluable. And like you had said, like, I I don't know what I'm doing. I just learned on YouTube. Well, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. This is what I did. Like, I learned on YouTube, right? So you can take that time and that energy to go through and do all of the research and everything yourself. And there's some people that really like doing that. And then there's other people that want you, who has already done all that legwork, to show them and to show them that it's possible to do it. So I think you know, these classes specifically for women and processing are genius. And I I would like to come to this. I want to know how <laughs> I can come watch this and do this because like you said, I think having this knowledge to be able to do this is super important. And going back to the animals and them being, you know, born and raised and having a good life on your farm is so important, but also giving them, you know, their no good, very bad day. And that being their only bad day, I think is something that is, you know, just the best gift that you can give to that animal. And that animal is giving you the gift of feeding your family and your community. So, you know, this all around holistic view of what you're doing on this one acre, like it gives me the chills and it gives me all of the misty feels, Natalie. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. I was just thinking about what you said about your Baba, you know, our great grandmothers kind of this or grandmothers, this is how they lived. And that's one thing I try to do. You know, we have access to a chicken plucker and all of those kind of things, but 
I try to make the class done in a very traditional way. Like we boil a pot of water over an open fire and, you know, we use very minimal tools because I want people to know that they don't have to have all of these things or spend money on all of these extra tools. And I always joke like this is probably the closest thing to what your great grandma would have done when we're out there because you can do it with the means that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that's the overall message that you have provided here today is it doesn't matter if you have an acre or you know, just the corner in your backyard in or your downtown apartment balcony, you can do things. And you, first of all, you don't need to have everything figured out. You can try things and see if you like it. And if there's something that's not for you, there is somebody probably in your area that has done this and is good at this and you can support them and learn from them. And you don't have to do it all by yourself. And there's community in all of this too. So what's next for you, Natalie? What's next for Green Acre? Well, I just made probably the biggest purchase that I've made and bought myself a shed. I'm still trying to figure out a good name for it. Everyone keeps calling it a she shed, but I don't know if I want to call it that, which I am planning on converting into a small market space because we do have our little farm stand on wheels. So I won't be giving that up and then kind of a classroom. So I would love to keep, you know, sharing the things that I've learned, but also just making space for community for other people to come in and share some of the things that people have asked me about that I don't necessarily feel educated enough to speak on or to teach other people about, or maybe a space where we can, you know, work on learning those things together. So um, that's kind of my big goal for next year is to keep encouraging people. I really hope that, you know, someday I'm able to maybe go and help someone set up their first garden or, you know, if someone does live in that apartment like we talked about and they're really interested in it, helping them figure out how to work with the space that they have, whether that's them coming out and kind of looking at what we're doing here or me going to them and working through, you know, what their next steps could be. And definitely I really need to convince my husband to let me bring these goats back to our property. I think that's probably priority, you know, number two after I get my shed up and running. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, if you need help with that, you let me know. And uh, (laughs) I am so looking forward to seeing what you do with this shed. I am low-key very jealous of this shed. And uh, I need to figure out how to convince my husband that I need one of these sheds. So maybe you can help me with that. So (laughs) I think it helps if... uh... That is one thing. Um, I highly encourage any woman who is interested in homesteading, farming, having your own little space, just take his finances out of it. Like I just, you know, you have to sell enough eggs or enough plants or enough baby chicks that you can just do it and be like, honey, do you like it in that spot in the yard? Is that okay with you? Great. And then you just sign the paper and keep on moving. Amen. (laughs) That definitely helped. (laughs) Words to live by. Financial independence through selling eggs or flowers or whatever it is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. Natalie, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you? I think the most important thing that I've learned and what I love sharing is just the idea of 
doing what you can with what you've got, whether, you know, that's space, money, time, et cetera, until you can get to what you want. And that journey is going to be different for each of us. It may change for each of us, but I always tell people, you know, do something, do anything. And I finally feel like, you know, those who have followed me or I just see other people kind of starting on that path. So just watching women or other people who never thought that they could do some of the things that they're doing and following their journey is that has been amazing for me. And for me, it's been amazing watching (laughs) you grow and you go through all of these things over the last two years. And I am so excited to continue to watch you learn and grow. And I'm excited to learn from you and grow from what you're doing in your space. So thank you for sharing that with all of us. For the listeners who would like to follow you and connect with you online, where can they find you? So I am on both Facebook and Instagram as Handmade on the Homestead. And so it's, what is it, late December now by the end of next month, which will be January. I'm actually going to be launching a little website for our homestead, which is going to be handmadeonthehomestead.farm. So you'll have to keep an eye out for that, and I'll be sure to share those things there. And for those of us that like to shop, I do have a Etsy shop called Green Acre Farm Stand. So I sell some soaps and some other like fun things that I like to make there. Perfect. And I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Well, thank you. Natalie, thank you so much for chatting with me this morning. I I was looking forward to this interview and uh, I'm so excited that I'm able to share your story and you've done it so beautifully. And I know you have inspired people to just start where they are. Thank you, Caitlin. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time. Caitlin Dubin, the host of the Rural Woman Podcast, and Bev Ross, host of the Joy Farmer Podcast, have teamed up to create Positively Farming Media. Positively Farming Media is a podcast hub that connects and cultivates growth-oriented farm and food storytellers. We host a mastermind mentoring group that fosters connection and collaboration between podcasters so you no longer have to produce your show within a silo. Each month in our member-only online community, new learning modules are released that are designed to increase your show's quality, listenership, and advertising opportunities. When you join today, you'll have access to the current month's modules and our previously released modules so you can start growing your show right away. Learn more and start building connections to fellow podcasters in the food and agriculture space at PositivelyFarmingMedia.com.